You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly Talking Footy episode. Good to be back on the Talking Footy. We had Anzac Day around last week. Unfortunately, even though that's a fantastic round, it does mean that we have football on a Tuesday, teamless on a Wednesday. Supercoach has to come out on a Wednesday, and then we have games on a Thursday already, so it was just too hard to get the Talking Footy out. It was hard enough to get the Supercoach episode out. But this week, things are back to normal. Although we do have magic round this week, plenty of time to talk footy, plenty of time for a talking footy episode. So this week we've got Perso back on board. Perso, welcome back to the All-Stars podcast, mate. It's been a fantastic month of footy since I've, I've chatted to you and uh, no doubt you've been enjoying it. Oh, mate, how good is this season? It's um, just so close. It's been some great games. Even, even the guys when they're not um, sort of completion rate quality, they're still entertaining games. There's a lot of games going down to the wire. It's just, uh, I think this is as close as the comp's been in recent memory, that's for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely a close comp, and that's made it a, obviously very competitive, and that's always going to equate to some pretty good footy. We've obviously had a bit of controversy arise in the last few weeks especially, but the footy has been quite good. And, I mean, look, the first topic, really, I mentioned it already, was, was the Anzac round. Before we get into the Talking Footy episode, though, I do need to remind everyone about the Supercoach episodes once a week that are just Supercoach. So if you love that, get into it. If you love Rugby League and you're not into your Supercoach, get into these Talking Footy episodes. We go through uh, the reviews of the round and everything happening in Rugby League, different news, and it's all through a completely unfiltered, unbiased view as well. No media affiliations, no rubbish, no BS. We just tell it like it is, fans' perspective, and I love talking about it each week. So... Also, the uh, couple of different segments that we're now running to, we've certainly got Listener's Corner that started as well, which is a question from one of the listeners on Rugby League in general. My spray of the week, which is going to be a good one this week. And then the Legend Rewind we always finish off on just for a positive note, just to talk about something in Rugby League that's not happening at the moment, to to put a spotlight on a, a prior Rugby League legend. So great one this one. I'll give you a hint. It's a Tigers player, but also played for South Sydney too and the North Queensland Cowboys. So there's a few hints for the end of the episode. But before we do get stuck into it with the first part, which was talking about the Anzac round, I do need to mention the brand new sponsor and partnership the All-Stars podcast has with Picklebet. If you haven't seen Picklebet, go on to picklebet.com and check them out. They're a fantastic bookie to have a look at. Specialise in esports, but also racing and also all other sports as well. Rugby league-wise, you'll find some fantastic value. Love their odds. You know, they've got some fantastic odds in the market. They'll give you better odds than a lot of the other bigger bookies. Um, the first game of the round is on. And you got guys oh, like the Bulldogs. I reckon that some of those specials for those centers are going to be great. You've got Paul Alamodi at over four bucks that you can get for an anytime try scorer. Uh, Matt Burton at $3.40, which is better than a couple of the big bookies that I had a look at as well. Uh, and Hayes Perham. He's been in sensational form for the Bulldogs. He's at $4 to score any time against the Raiders in Magic Round on Thursday night. Picklebet.com. Go and have a look. Check it out. Make sure when you sign up, though, that you use our referral code. It's just all stars, all one word. Make sure you throw that in, though, because they'll make sure that they take great care of you because they'll see that you're one of the all-stars listeners and you've come across from the podcast to give Picklebet a look. But picklebet.com.au. Jump on them. Make sure you do gamble responsibly, though. Think, is this bet 
one that you really want to place. For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. So, Anzac round. How good is it? How good. Like, we talk about the things that we hate about rugby league and the things that really rub us the wrong way, but something that they always do right is the Anzac round. I feel like that's one of the shining lights every year. They always do Anzac round so well. If anything, it's getting better each year. You're 100% right. (laughs) The NRL might hit the mark and a lot of things, but the Anzac round is a fantastic spectacle. Not only the Anzac Day itself, I I love how they they do the Anzac um, round with every game on that round. Every game goes through the march and the last post and they have the jerseys and it's just a a great round of football. Yeah, it's it's something that's really special and it's it's obviously a tradition as well and and traditions in rugby league are really important. You know, you lose some of it in some sports. Um, Certainly it fades away with different generations or certainly different times. Some traditions fade away as well because they're not in vogue or that people just don't want to follow them anymore. The Anzac tradition has just lived on in the NRL for so long now and it's just such a great tradition the other thing that traditions bring is rivalries like from my perspective the roosters and dragons rivalry for anzac i love it you know i remember going to those games 25 years ago didn't that game deliver too yeah and that's the thing they always do like it always feels like the players are up for it the league is up for it the fans are up for it and yes you get all that in the game don't you so it was a good round. We're not going to go through that round just because we've got round nine to talk about. But just in general, um, you know, I, I thought all the jerseys were great. I know we had a bit of a jersey controversy, <laughs> um, but it's good that they all were quite different. Like that's the other thing too. Like all the jerseys, they all go away and do their own thing. I like that the NRL doesn't just give like a standardised jersey to everyone that you got to go do. But it's always interesting to see what the teams do. And we're not going to talk about the controversy. You know, just positive person. <laughs> no, it's. It's just good that, that it's the with the younger generations, you know, it's, it's good that the NRL does this. It has that respect on the Anzacs and what they gave for us. Back in those days, that was it. Like, <laughs> it'd be a completely different world if these guys didn't fight. And it sort of gets lost in the younger generations. So I really like the NRL have um, taken it on board and they've just keep, seen the keep getting better and better with it each year. I think it was fantastic. Yeah, I do too. And it's also one of those things that I love about it as well is you mentioned like the fanfare before the game and everything, but I think it's really easy to go out on Anzac day and, you know, you, you don't get to a dawn service because you've got kids or because you're young and you can't get out of bed and, you know, different reasons or whatever. And you don't go to the dawn service and then you have Anzac day and you might go up to the pub and have some beers with mates and stuff and it starts to get lost. Maybe sometimes for people after a few schooners and stuff, why we've got that day off and everything. And then the footy comes on and like you said, you, you, you've got it all. Reminding you. That's it. Even if you're sitting, in a, sitting on your lounge chair, what, you, you still can't help the, the get the tingles on the back of the spine with the last pass, and especially on those two Anzac Day games. It's yeah, it, it's unreal. It's really good. Uh, the jerseys that we mentioned as well, you know, you mentioned remembering the Anzacs and, and what was given then, but the other great thing about the round is it, it really remembers and also respects everybody that served for the country. Uh, and we, you saw that in some of the jerseys. Um, one of the jerseys was specific for the Marines. It was a, a gray, gray Jersey that was. Um, yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. And it, like, it, it's a different perspective, isn't it? Like it's a good reminder that it, it's not, it, it is about Anzac day and the Anzacs that fought back in the world war, 
but it's also about everybody else that's served since, even the Vietnam War, even more recent, and also everyone that's serving currently as well. And you got to see that in some of the jerseys. Like, I like it that it's different focus points all the time and it gets to really respect all of them. Yeah, I thought that was a great touch. That's <laughs> the most criticism you get at NRL sometimes. Like the Anzac round, it's, it's a really good round for a number of reasons. So the round nine that we need to talk about, quick review. First game of the round was the Sharks and the Cowboys. And look, I thought that the Sharks were going to give it to the Cows a little bit. I did not expect them to give them the hiding that the Cowboys got, 44-6. to six. And it was, again, like it, it feels like you're just on repeat saying it was the Nico Hines show. But he just completely tore them apart. And you can't even see it on the stat sheet, really. Like he had a try, line break assist, try assist. But he, he had his hands on everything. And then you you can just see the confidence in that game that the Sharks outside backs get from having Nico back. Like Militalo, three line breaks, two tries himself. Uh, Katawa had a great uh, try himself with the line break where he just busted through like three different defenders. I think Chad Townsend, the ex-Shark, got thrown off like he was a <laughs> bloody gnome. And he just went in in the corner as well. Talakai, back to form. He got a try, Ramian. You know, you've you just got all these Sharks that just seem to have lifted in that game. And a lot of it's, you know, just Nico just seems to bring it out in them as well. And to give them credit too, that, that Sharks backline was on fire. Uh, I thought that the Sharks were fantastic per se, but the Cows, can they continue to just be disappointing every week? Because I said that I thought the Sharks would win this, but, you know, hard to go to points about saying you get a win for anyone. But I, I, I keep thinking each week, oh, is this the way that the Cows, like, put their foot down and, like, play a bit desperate because they realise that they need to be because they're second last on the ladder. Yeah, and, and it just doesn't come through each week. Uh, oh, oh, Sharks are fantastic. Um, Nick, Nick has not really just everywhere. You watch him live, it's just, the amount of ground he covers is just insane, but they're, they're a well-drilled side of Sharkies. Um, I think the point there with the cows, I think we, we sort of discussed this in the pre-season that they were a massive chance of having a regression season this year. They, they played so far out of their skin last season. And uh, they just don't seem to be clicking like they did last year. They've had a couple of injuries in middle forwards. Uh, Townsend's not anywhere near as good as he was last year. It, it's it's going to be a tough year for the, the Cows. I don't, I don't know if they can come back from this far now. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things where you just get to these rounds and think, well, they can't get any worse. Surely they're going to improve and you just don't see it in them. Um, you mentioned Townsend. He only played 50 minutes, went off injured. So it's going to sound like that we're, you know, beaten down on a guy that was hurt. But he wasn't hurt at the start of the game. And he was abysmal. Like, he was really bad. In his 50 minutes... He certainly hasn't been... Like last season, he was a big part of their success or with his controlling the game and his kicking game and getting them into positions. And I know they're forwards. So they've had a lot of middle forwards out this year. But Townsend hasn't... He's been a shadow of what he was last yeah. year. Yeah. And I, to be to be frank, I like I, I didn't expect last year to come with the form that he had. But I picked him for the Spurs. Yeah, and I, I picked Townsend <laughs> to be terrible think, as well. I think it was a season too early. I thought there'd be somewhere in between. I didn't think they'd be this bad. Uh, Townsend nine of he made nine of thirteen tackles, but the thing was he hardly did anything. He ran the ball three times in fifty minutes. He didn't create anything. His kicking wasn't good. His defense was bad. You could see they were targeting him. Uh, it was it was pretty poor, um, and really, you know, without him, it's going to be hard for them to get back up. When you have a look at the stats and stuff, the missed tackles, 38 missed tackles from the Cowboys to 13 for the Sharks. 
you just see that there. And then you look at the penalties. Like they conceded eight penalties to two. You miss that many tackles and you concede that many penalties to a good side. You're not going to win. And they didn't win on the possession side either with 44%. And you can see that with, with how they handled the game. Uh, look, a bit more point scoring was in the next game as well that was sort of a little bit unexpected for me. I thought the Eels were going to do Newcastle. This is a very similar game to what the first game was. I thought the Eels were going to do the Newcastle Knights pretty well, but Newcastle have been gritty enough where I have to sort of respect them now. Combeck Stadium, obvious hunting ground for the Eels to get good wins. 43-12, to 12, though, and it was a scoreline where the, after the like the seventh minute when they um, converted their first try, the Knights weren't really in it. The, the Eels just went on an absolute tear. Gutho got a hat trick. But really, that entire spine played quite well. Uh, the halves, Moses and also Dylan Brown. You know, Moses' numbers, three line breaks, a try of his own, a try assist, the line breaks, his 10 tackle breaks. Uh, made some errors, but, geez, he was, he was trying and he was doing a lot. Dylan Brown ran the ball 21 times, had two line breaks himself with a try and a try assist. And then Gutho was just... Like these guys were tearing it up, and then whenever there was an opportunity and someone was looking, it was just Gutho was there. You know, he he did the same with his hat trick of tries. It, they just tore them up, didn't they? I was pretty excited watching the Eels, and I'm not even a fan. For me, this was a game that was coming for both sides, if that makes sense. But as you as you said, the Knights have been so gritty this year; they've they've been up for a while and just just on determination, and they've had so many injuries. But this performance is always sort of going to be in them. Like they almost beat the Panthers a couple of weeks ago. They've just been up and up and up, and they're always going to have a bit of an off game sooner or later. And in turn, the Eels they haven't been playing badly. They haven't won a lot of games. They've had a pretty tough draw to start the season. They're always going to have one of these games they are going to turn it on. It just sort of happened to coincide with the, the Knights being down, and that's why we saw the game we saw. Has to be said, Caelan Ponger, come back a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Hasn't done not very much since he's come back. I thought he wasn't too bad in that first game, but geez, he looked hesitant in that Earls game. He only made 13 and 21 tackles, missed eight tackles. And that's that's a higher percentage of tackles out of 21 attempts. You know, like it's, and I have to say, like I was talking to Luke Garrity that often comes on this podcast. It's a Mad Knights fan that was at the game. And he said, I thought that he even missed more than that. And I was like, actually watching on TV, Oh, I think it looked like he, he missed everything. I think he did, but I think <laughs> that he didn't actually attempt a heap of them to miss. He just ended up getting, you know, blitzed. And it was just, it was really bad. And you sort of see that and you go, wow, like he's he's just not there. Clearly he's, he's hit. Yeah, clearly he's hesitant in contact. Uh, it, it has to be said as well, like it's not one of our topics, but coming out of this game, you know, they've been absolutely smashed and they've got the buyer this week. And it's come out today that they're going to Bali for the weekend to have a long weekend at Magic Ground. I just, I cannot right get my head around that. Like, it's if if you own a footy club, per se, if you own an NRL club, you're worried about your team going to Bali in the off season. <laughs> like, how, how are you doing uh, it during the year? That, that's something you'd expect out of the Tinkler era when he owned them. What are they thinking? <laughs> what what could possibly go wrong, Barnsley? Well, I mean, even just from a a leadership, a coaching perspective, what sort of message does it send? You know, you, you boys have not put in, and it was a really terrible effort. You've been done, had 43 points put on you and been absolutely flogged. And you go off and have a holiday, Got you know, have a long weekend. It's 
surely that doesn't send the right message and they're not building the right culture there by making these type of decisions? Or am I just being a, a cranky old man? Nah, it's it's bizarre, Barzi. Especially when you, you there's a lot to like about the Knights so far this year. They sort of got back to that gritty Newcastle style of play over the first month of footy. And yeah. <laughs> the decision to go to Bali on the the uh the <laughs> The uh, magic round, it's, it's pretty bizarre. Well, we've given the Eels a lot of a wrap here, but I'm just going to finish on a stat here because I was absolutely astounded by it. The Eels missed 46 tackles in that game. 46 is high. The Knights missed 61. You had 107 missed tackles wow. in that game. I don't remember seeing a game with that many missed tackles. Uh, it's right up there. Bronx and South Sydney. Uh, look, Suncorp Stadium... A lot of Broncos back is in this one. And you just sort of thought, well, Brisbane are at the top of the table. Souths are coming for them. We're going to see a lot out of this game about who's a real premiership threat. And started off, you know, pretty even. And then all of a sudden, Souths just went bang. And at the half at the half time point, I think it was it was pretty even. Souths were up, but not by much. And then you just came in and Latrell Mitchell, 43-minute try. Campbell Graham just starts scoring. Cody Walker starts running rampant. And they did that on the back of a, a forward pack that's been quite weakened throughout the year as well. But I sort of, I, I was worried for Brisbane coming into this because Payne Haas was out. And without Haas, they are in big trouble, I think, in that pack because really it's him and Carrigan. And you take those guys away and it's a pretty weak forward pack, I reckon. And then Mam was out as well. Now, Mam hasn't had the most fantastic year, but I think that we saw it in this game where he plays a really good foil role. And if you take someone like Mam out and replace them with someone like Madden, who, you know, all due respect, isn't a starting NRL half, that heaps huge amounts of pressure on both Reynolds and Walsh as the two guys in that spine that can really make anything happen without Mam being there. And I think that that really showed in this one. Yeah, particularly when they don't have a noted hooker as well. So you're 100% right. He does fall back on those. But they rely so much on Payne Haas. And uh, when he's fit, which he has been this year, he's just been absolutely electric for them. He just gets them on the front foot. I get this. Uh, the South Pack is pretty underrated. They're right in this competition up to their eyeballs, the bunnies. Yeah, and I think the fact that they got Totola back on the bench that game, that's going to be big for them. Uh, to, they need Totola, and him coming back is huge. Uh, Cam's done a job that I didn't expect him to do as well as what he's done. So, yeah, certainly they've cemented themselves as being um, right up there in the premiership race for me. I do want to finish on this South game, though, just by pointing out the controversy that happened in it. South has since been fined 15K because they stuffed up an interchange and they had someone on the field to give them 14 men for about 30 seconds. Now... I understand, I guess, punishing South for that. But, like, to me, I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't understand why this is the player's fault or why this is the club's fault. Like, decades ago, we ended up with sideline officials that work for the NRL there, and they've got cards, and they tell the blokes to go on and off. Like, it's not like clubs that are doing it and pulling guys off. So, like, the NRL have stuffed this up. It's the NRL. You can you shouldn't ask yourself how does a footballer go on and not take someone else off. It's not a footballer's job and it's not even the club's job. How does the NRL let fourteen players run on a field and play for thirty seconds? How does that even happen? Surely one bloke has to leave and cross that line, and the other bloke has to then be let on 
once that play is you've got a, a, a sideline official that works for the NRL holding the card. Like, to me, I, I wouldn't even find the clubs. I would sack the bloke that was on the sideline for a week and figure out what actually went wrong. It's it, it's bizarre to me that we still look at it like, you know, in park footy, maybe when a couple of A-grade sides are playing, yeah. you've got, you know, the, the trainer that's sort of holding the bloke's jersey and says, all right, mate, hang on, Barney, hang on, we've got to wait for this. It's the club that's doing it, all right? So you blame them, but in the professional sport, is this right? Oh, I seriously don't even know how friggin' happens, Barnsley. To be honest, I 100% agree with that. That's that's the system they got in place. Like it, it's all there, the cards up. And you know, so how the how does it happen? And, and then it has happened, and oh, well, we'll just find South for it to see a problem. But well, it's not really because they put the black on the sideline and you give them the go ahead to go on. Yeah, I, I, if I owned a club, I'd be appealing this. I'd be like, I don't care if I'm a millionaire that owns a rugby league club. I'm not paying you fifteen grand. That's, That's the, the talk about them losing two points and stuff. It's just farcical. Look, come on. No, there's, there's no way you could lose two points. And I mean, look, you know, Broncos fans might have been trying to clutch a little bit there, but <laughs> you lose thirty-two to six, and South could have put on a lot more points. It's uh, yeah, you're not getting those points back. But I, I just found it. Uh, it, you know, that was controversial and I found it bizarre that it was um, put so much on South, to be honest, and not the NRL. Yeah, agree. The Raiders 31 to 30 over the Dolphins. This one went to Golden Point. Um, this one had some controversy too. We may as well get out of the way now. It's um, Annesley came out and said that uh, they missed a, a Hudson Young knock-on that occurred in Golden Point and obviously the Canberra Raiders kicked a field goal in the 83rd minute to then win the match 31 to 30. Uh, look, I'm pretty critical of the referee mistakes. Um, and to me, sometimes there's really egregious ones. I thought that Annesley's um, ex- explanation in this game was was fair. He said that the referee didn't have the angle to actually see it. Uh, and it was obviously live, so it was missed. That's, a, that's reasonably fair. You're going to get that happen sometimes. Like, I'm always a lot more critical when the bunker's making all these mistakes all the time or they're reviewing tackles and things and making the wrong calls. Like They've obviously got the benefit of that. They've got all the views and the angles and stuff and they're making the wrong call. The ref missing something like that, like yeah, it's not great, but you're going to get that in sport, right? So I didn't think that it marred the game like maybe some other people did. No, it happens. 100% agree with you with that. I mean, if you're talking about a game that was everyone had an opportunity to win that game, it's not coming down to that one decision, that's for sure. They were well in front. Yeah, and the, and the Dolphins have done this both weeks, right? They were down 26 nil to the Titans the week before. Yeah. And then last week, they're down 16 nil to the, to the Canberra Raiders. And then they just came firing back. It's a it, it's great resolve from the Dolphins that you see. I, I'm gonna, I want to specifically mention one player in this game. I was so imp- impressed with Connolly Lemuelu. He was a young guy that Bennett brought in who came from the Cowboys, who was an outside back. And he's a starting edge back rower now. And this is his first year doing it. And I thought that his last couple of weeks looked really comfortable for the first time as a starting edge back rower, as a forward. And he had two line breaks where he ran fantastic lines, two tries. And overall, I just thought that he looked like a real up-and-comer. Uh, and I thought that he performed outstandingly. So he was my pick out of the players for this one. Oh, he looks great. Very great lines. It's good that that inside... Or from uh, Cody Nicaruma that put him over too. Like you look at the Dolphins, a bunch of no names really, and the shape that Bennett's got him playing with is fantastic in attack. Yeah, it is, especially when you consider that um, O'Sullivan's got to come back as well. That's right. Like it's not even their first string attack. It just you just watch them all the time, and they're all playing for each other. But 
something to be said about the the um, balding of the side. Got to go on to the Raiders side of things. How good is the horse going? Three weeks in a row, yeah. 71 minutes Stop a game. It. Big red. 24 runs, five offloads, a line break try assist, 41 tackles, zero errors. It was just outstanding and absolutely everywhere. It was a great game for him, and, I, and I'll say you know, slightly lesser extent, but Hudson Young had four, four offloads, a line break, a try assist, a line break assist as well. Um, and those two young guys in that pack, you can build on that pack at, the, at Canberra. Don't worry about White and going. That pack has got some great young forwards that are really shining at the moment. He's just got that aggression in him too. He, he always pulls off a hit in the game too, old horse. He have to, he's he's got to be genuine smoky for origin, horse, bro, for Queensland. I think the form that he's shown these last few weeks, it's there. Uh, but having said that, I sort of looked at... I don't know how he slips in for. They've got a pretty packed, pretty stacked sort of middle forwards, but like... He, He'll be in the squad, I'd say. I think they'll put him in the squad to give him experience. So for back of performances like the weekend. I, I can't see how he breaks into the 18, though. Nah, not with an injury, but he'd be the smoky if there's going to be a smoky. Uh, the next one was Manly getting done 26 to 10 at four points. And look, obviously Turbo is out. Uh, I, I picked this one. I backed them on Picklebet with some good odds. And I think they were about $2.48 at the time, the Titans. And, you know, without Turbo, it was going to be tough. Playing Garrick out of position, I didn't think worked well. But Daly Terry Evans has had great form all year. He wasn't as good in this one. Won't spend too much time on this one. Um, it was a great win for the Titans, though. And they've shown that they're able to score points. I'll just finish off by saying David Fafita, Perso, I've, I've singled him out so many times this year as Someone who's not getting the credit that he has in prior years and he's probably in career best form, just not scoring many tries. Got his first try. Round nine, first try of the year for David Fafita. He's been outstanding this year. I really like his game. Like he's taken he's got a bit of ball playing in his game this year. He's thrown several passes on the outside and made a couple of line break assists. A lot of that would have to do with um Kieran Foran, I'd say. But his work rate is, is picked up massively this year as well. I think he's in career best form for Fafita. So we've talked about the games. I'm going to split this round into two, right? We've spoken about the sunny games, and now the second half of the games were all in absolutely terrible weather almost. And then the first one off the rank for that is the Tigers upsetting the Penrith Panthers. Yeah. 12-8 per so. Mate, <laughs> you haven't won for like a year. You can't get better <laughs> than that type of win, can you, beating the Panthers? Uh, we'll cop that. Uh, we actually didn't play badly either. It wasn't like we just got a sneaky win because Penrith are awful. Mind you, it was an absolute quagmire. The weather was awful. It was it was unbelievably bad weather. But having said that, you know the, the Tigers weren't making errors and were actually playing smart footy. So they, they well and truly deserved to win. And like you said, the Panthers weren't that bad. How did you like? How did you see the Tigers? In that performance, you just do you take a lot out of that? Do you think that they showed some glimpses that they're going to be on the improve and that's going to springboard them on? They've showed glimpses that they're on the improve for the last couple of games. The, the game against Parramatta and then the game against Manly. I mean, um, it's been our attack that's been the problem. You know, the middle forwards have sort of held the, the ground. We've been competitive in that area. It's just when you look at our attack, but, yeah, the shape has just been awful. But it's slowly been building the last couple of times. Oh, the, 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 even in that wet game, was probably some of the best we've looked in the tag. And not for Luma trying the corner. That was great sort of shape in wet weather. It's uh, They're on the improve. I still don't expect a hell of a lot out of them this year, but 
you know, they're hanging in games, but they've got to get a lot of confidence out of beating the Panthers. When you see the weather in that game and you think the West Tigers going into that and playing in those conditions, like the West Tigers can't complete sets at the best of times. 90% completion rate. How do yeah. you complete 90% even if you're a good side in that weather and the West Tigers manage to do it? Apparently it comes down to the old Tim Sheen's uh, little wristband. Uh, <laughs> wristband. Oh. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Well, there's little, they all run out with those wristbands on. Them. Oh, grip. give them another wristband this week, mate. You know, give them two. Give them seven. <laughs> give them the Jerry Springer beads or something oh. off the Jerry Springer show. Rest in oh, peace, Jerry. Just... died this week as well for the West Tigers. Uh, <laughs> but the other thing, too, with the Tigers in this one, um, they didn't make anywhere near as many errors as what you would have thought. They only made five errors in the game, which is really good in those conditions. Yeah, I mean, it, those conditions were horrible, and Brooks has finally pulled out his best kicking game in three seasons in the, those conditions. So. Or, or ever. Two 40-20s. Yeah. You don't get two 40-20s in a game from the same player hardly ever. So hopefully that's a, a sign of things to come. He played out of his city. He's, he's got that in him, Brooks. He showed in 2018 when he got the Daily M after the year. He's got got that form in him. It's just he's a massive confidence player. So we'll wait and see what happens. I think that they're going to spring on a little bit, the Tigers, and be a bit more competitive now. Well, they got the Dragons this week. And it's a game they have to win. If they don't beat the Dragons this week, and just, oh, yeah, that was a one-off. They've got to win that one. And, I mean, by the same time, I'd hate me playing the Penrith Panthers this week as well after that because they, oh, yeah. they will kill somebody this week. Uh, the next game, we had my boys, the Sydney Roosters, win 14-0 over the Warriors at Mount Smart. And if you thought, thought the weather in Australia was going bad... Uh, she's pretty ordinary over there. Mount Smart in New Zealand was pretty bad too. That was a tornado of rain over there. And the Roosters managed to win 14-0, which... You know, I think it's better than a 14-0 win. Like, I thought they were fairly dominant throughout the game defensively. Uh, their, de- their defense, as a fan, I was pretty proud of. Um, in attack, they didn't really show a lot. Um, I wanted them to show a little bit more, but at the same time, because of the conditions, it was hard. Um, someone like Teddy, I think, got back to form a little bit. Again, the last couple of weeks, you've seen line breaks from him. You saw that again. You saw the tackle breaks back up with six in this game as well. Um, and I just... I think they're putting it together quite well. Um, the, the Warriors, I thought, played admirably per so, but they just didn't get they, – they just couldn't put points on the board against the Roosters in those conditions. Oh, that was a pretty fair um, scoreline in the end. The Warriors hung in there pretty well in that first half, but, yeah, as you said, they just, they just couldn't couldn't use their attack. So, yeah, in the end, the, um, the Chooks won out. I had a bit of middle forward game, and that's what got them home. Yes. Well, we're not going to focus too much on that one. Let's move along so we can get through the round. Uh, the last game was the, the win for the Bulldogs, 18-16, over the Dragons. That might be um, known in the history books as Hook's nail in his coffin. Yeah. Uh, I think that they started looking for a new coach very seriously after that loss. So the Dragons, obviously losing to the Bulldogs when the Bulldogs are that depleted was pretty bad. I thought, like, if I was a Bulldog supporter, I would be pretty happy with what I saw. Like, I, I thought the dogs wanted it. I thought they were fighting for that win and that they basically fought it off the Dragons. You know, obviously they didn't have that good a quality side on the field. Uh, their forward pack's been fairly decimated. They started they started Edwards at prop. They started Waddell in the second row. He's going to be there for a few months with kick out. They ended up starting Reynolds in the halves 
um, and young Burns on the wing who ended up with a severe MCL injury or PCL. I can't remember which it was in his knees out four to six weeks now. And he played through it for half the game, which is very admirable. You know, I, I just thought that the dogs battled away and really earned it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Dragons. Their, their attack's probably worse than the Tigers, to be honest. <laughs> watching, it, oh, oh, <laughs> watching them in attack is horrible. And, uh, yeah, Hookstar's definitely not, but... You look at this week, he's, he's dropped Lamax. I mean, he, he's swapped Lamax and Sully around. Not, uh, why you would ever have done that, swapped the edges in the first place, I don't know. Now he's just dropped Lamax. You know, just talking, he's going to put Hunt in the hooker this week. He's just he's getting desperate, the old hook. I think his days are very numbered. Mm, well, let, let's go straight into that. It's a good segue because our next segment was uh, Lamax has been axed by the Dragons. And to talk about that a bit, I do want to give a shout-out, though, to a Canterbury player, um, Avarillo. Oh, hey, good is he? Couple of tries, couple of line breaks, but it was how he did it. Absolutely burnt Sloan. How good was that? Absolutely burnt Sloan. Turned him inside out. He's just a genuine footballer, ever real, isn't he? You don't really know what his best position is, but he, he just turns up. Like he's, I think he's going really well at centre. He's centre his position. I mean, he's played a bit of fullback, played a bit of halves, but I think centre probably is his position. I thought, I thought it was his worst position until this season. And now I'm I'm pretty set and agreeing with you that Senna is his spot because I think he's made it his own. Um, he sort of reminds me a little bit of Jack Whiten when Jack Whiten came in. You remember Jack Whiten got to go in the halves and just wasn't going very well and they put him at full back and he, he just he he looked more comfortable at Senna for the Blues. Yeah. Um, and he looked, I thought he was more comfortable at centre for Canberra as well when he first came into grade, but they've obviously shaped him into a six and after giving him a one a one jersey for a few games too. Uh, Avarillo, I, I thought, was going to be in the halves. I thought he was going to be a six. Then when they moved into one, I, I thought that might be better. I never thought that he would have worked at centre, but I agree. I, I think he's been looking phenomenal. Yeah, I think he's been one of the dogs' most consistent players this season. I think he's, he's going really well. Well, let's move on to the next topic, which was, you know, Lomax being axed by the Dragons this week. Uh, I, in a bit too, too minds about this one per se, so I'm glad that I've got you here as a sounding board because I have seen you know, some Dragons forums and some fan comments and even some media comments that have all been about Hook losing his marbles, um, whether that's for losing his marbles for axing Lomax at all or for the whole idea that uh, that he told Lomax to come back in a couple of days and talk to him about, you know, the re- the reasons why he's been dropped and stuff. I, I've responded pretty similar to everyone where I sort of said, oh, I think that Lomax, the only question is why, why has it taken two years to drop him? Like, oh, I think for the last two years he's been bordering on really bad in his football. And it's stuff that hasn't changed really. And people say, oh, well, he moves, Hook moved his sides this year. And, you know, that's thrown him off and Hook decided to do that. And that's true. But, I mean... It doesn't give him his reason to be uninvolved. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't. And it doesn't give you a reason to have a, a questionable attitude either. It also doesn't give you a reason to drop 20% off your goal kicking. You know, his, his goal kicking has been awful. He's in the 60s. That's attitude. It is. And and this is my point when you drop someone like Lomax, right? Like, oh, I think that he, he's been droppable for two years. And, look... I don't know what the conversation that Hook had was, and I'm not going to try and spin it that it was this um, really Freudian moment where he decided to use some psychology on Lomax and stuff. But if I was the coach, I would have actually had the shits if Lomax asked me why he'd been dropped. Because in my head, I'd be saying, mate, for two years, I've been trying to get you to show a bit of attitude 
to get involved, to stop throwing stupid flick passes, to stop blaming everyone else around you for your shit mistakes. And I've given you this feedback for 24 months. That's probably why you swapped edges. And you want to know now why you're being dropped? How about this? Okay. Lomax, go away for a couple of days and you come back and tell me after thinking about it why you think that you've been dropped. Because to me, it, per se, it could have happened any time for two years. I, I really don't see an issue with it myself. Oh, he's been ordinary this year. They're watching those drag. Like he's, he's just not involved at all. Like yeah, he swapped sides, and whether he's got his he's disgruntled about swapping sides or not, but he, he just doesn't get involved. Like he, he was always a, a a center that would take a few hard yards and that sort of stuff when he was playing well a couple of years ago. He just doesn't look interested at all. He's watching him going, where is he? No, and then you see him goal kick and he, he throws up some pretty poor goal kicks as well. Well, it's a massive drop-off from being an 80% kicker to a 60% kicker. And it's cost him like wins. That's attitude. Yeah, they, they scored more tries than the Roosters in that Anzac clash, but ended up with the loss, obviously. So but I, I'd actually say as well how he responded per so. You know, and, and you've got to go off reports. Like maybe this didn't happen and maybe, you know, Lomax is being hard done by. But Zach Lomax supposedly responded initially with just basically throwing his toys out of the cot and, and being really pissed off that he got dropped and annoyed by it and um, angry about it and not understanding it. And, you know, basically... Yeah, so that's the wrong attitude. Taking right it down on hook. And that's right. Like, I mean, you look at someone like Sam Walker, who's just released an interview today to clear the air about the roosters and stuff. And everything he said was spot on and just exactly what you want. Now, Zach Lomax is in his mid-20s and has been in first grade for, what, five or six years? You know, Sam Walker's not like, 20 years old and he's come out and said, look, I wasn't playing well. Exactly. I didn't want to be dropped, but the season hasn't gone how I wanted to. I, I want to be here. I want to work my way back into the team. I'm just going to work really hard. And, you know, I'm really happy with the Roosters. I'm really happy with their support. And with all that, there would have been things from Robbo with this is like that he wasn't happy with. He wasn't nailing certain aspects of his game. So go back to the New South Wales Cup and work on that and you get your confidence back and then that's it. It's not a permanent drop. Yeah. Well, any no, right. It doesn't have to be for Lomax either. <laughs> like imagine if he had like a really good attitude about it and like just killed it in New South Wales Cup for three weeks. Like, he oh, could be it, back on the side. Oh, well, that's what it says. He should go out next week and pretty much tear that competition apart with his ability. But it's just the, it's the attitude is going to be the issue. And it reminds me of his teammate when you talk about Tyrell Sloan last year. You know, I was I was very critical of Sloan. You know, Sloan went away and kicked stones and got annoyed about it, thought he earned the right to always be picked in first grade and really hadn't went into New South Wales Cup and really didn't do much at all and then requested a release. And it was terrible. Like, that's exactly what you don't want to see. It's what you're seeing from Lomax to a degree now. But Sloan is a positive story where he actually, after a long time, turned it all around. And he said this year, you know, like I was wrong. I, I should have responded better. I should have worked my way in with hard work and better performances. I should have listened to the feedback more. It, he's great now. You know, you just hope as a Dragons fan that he's Lomax turns every into week, that. Isn't he? Yeah, he is. I, I, like I'm, I was really critical of Sloan last year, but he deserves so much credit this year for how he's turned it around and his attitude and everything. And he's a lot younger, right? He's like four or five years younger than Lomax is. Like I think with yeah, Lomax, exactly. you expect a lot more from someone that senior on that type of contract. And he's been on that cusp for so long now. Like could be the best centre in the competition. Got the ability to it just, just it just doesn't happen. So I mean, this should be the kick up the arse he needs. Really, he should go back and just tear it apart and 
hit his head and buys and right, I'll, I'll drop the Reggies. I'm going to tear this competition apart. Give him no choice but to select me back again. But you roll around kicking stones and all, it's going to be the right decision to drop him, isn't it? Well, it is. And look, you know, just quietly, the Dragons have had two young brothers and uh, both played together last weekend and quite well. They are quite good. And, you know, Nothing. they've been the, the future. Brothers. Yeah, the Fino brothers have been the future of the Dragons for five years. And, you know, Zach can't just think that he's got a, a mortgage on that jersey. You know, that's probably time the Dragons need to look to the future and give those boys some run as well. So, I mean, do you do you see Lomax coming out of this? And do you how much do you think he's actually on hook and, and the Dragons in, in how this is all unfold? Well, I don't know, but also, I, I, uh, Lomax, I, I think it's pretty clear he's got some attitude issues. There's been a, a few things around it, like with the Frizzell incident last year. And there's a few things that he, I think he um, sort of is floating through, thinking he's this is probably the kick up the arse he needs, to be honest. Whether he takes it that way or whether he throws his toys out of the cot remains to be seen. I think Cook's well within his rights, dropping. Yeah, so do I. I mean, I do. I do kind of understand that it's probably better for a coach to be able to tell players straight away. And if he, you know, reportedly said that to Kerr as well earlier in the season to come back in a couple of days, it's probably not, doesn't sound like the best management, but you know, Lomax. No, I don't, I don't think he's the best man manager cutting around either hook, but. No, no, not at all. But it doesn't excuse Lomax's performance. And look, talking about young guys that were prodigies that just aren't living up to expectations of a professional footballer. Where to now for Josh Schuster? So Josh Schuster. Mm. I mean, I I have to applaud the honesty shown by Summer Manly. Like, I think the comments from Seabold and Daly Cherry Evans were very supportive and what you expect from a teammate and a coach, but also very fair and um, positively critical, if you know what I mean, where they were clearly critical of parts of his performance, but they're as positive as they could be about it in supporting him. And I thought that was basically perfect, you know, And but it's very clear that Schuster has attitude problems. It's very clear that he has work ethic problems. Um, I mean, he's, he's basically off at the moment as much as rehabbing his, his injury that's been niggling him just to get conditioning in because he just hasn't had the best conditioning his whole career. Where to now for Schuster? I mean, your Tigers are apparently asking about him, which I was baffled by, like reportedly on 800000 a year. And that's because it's a back-ended contract people need to understand. So it's just for a couple of years at the back end because you yeah. got an upgrade but didn't get upgraded that year. But that's poor contract management. Still crazy money. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I know. I think I know where the Tigers is just coming from because um, when he first debuted, Benji was still playing 5-8 for the Tigers and he came out and said that it was the best debut from a 5-8 he signed for a while. So I think there's a bit of... Benji can see a bit in him. Uh, whether he can get the best out of it, not another question, but... There's clearly a massive attitude problem with Schuster. Yeah, and he, he's had a few years, right? He's been in first grade for a few years since his debut. He's not fit. It's clear he's not fit. Like he, he's he's not dedicated to his regime, fitness and diet, and, and that's probably why he's getting niggles and injured every second week. I, I mean, to explain to people too, like the 800K... It's a little bit unfair. Like, I'll defend him a little bit because it's it's a bit unfair for the journos to go out and say he's on 800k. To put it in perspective, he needed a contract upgrade because he was on bugger all. Merely gave him a contract upgrade, but it didn't kick in that year. So they basically almost paid him a little bit this year for being underpaid, you know, last year because they couldn't give him any extra money. And they manoeuvred the cap. So, you know, 
he probably still would have been on like 550 or something this year and 550, 600 next year, which is still overs, but, you know, it's just because they had to move the money around. So, I mean, it's a little bit unfair when you, you slap the label on him like that, that he's getting paid so much because... Oh, 100% is. The fans obviously tear down that and, and they don't want to see that um, sort of price tag on someone like Schuster that's underperforming. But I am still was quite surprised by your Tigers being interested per se. Like I actually said to a mate of mine when I saw it, well, that's an old, that's an old like bad Tigers regime culture. That's such such a Tigers move, isn't it? Oh, it really, like I thought they'd move past it. Like you know, credit that it's not a Tigers move anymore, and then they go and do a Tigers move. You know, like it's yeah. Oh, that's the first thing I thought too. But the only saving grace of that is, I think, is Benji, maybe Benji sees something that he can get out of the kid. But apart from that, why would you bother? Yeah, I'd I'd love some senior players to sit down with him and talk about some of the guys in the past that just never made it but should have. Like, you play plenty of footy in your life. There's plenty of guys that you see with immense talent that nobody ever hears from oh, again. Yeah. And there's you know a lot of varied reasons for that, but some of it is just attitude and work ethic. And there's NRL players as well. Like, I'd probably the younger guys that are listening, um, go and have a look at the career of someone like Owen Craigie. He was just, Andrew Johns has said before, he's the most talented player I've ever seen in my life. Never seen anyone as talented as Owen Craigie. Never, ever hit the heights that he should have. Oh, go and watch his highlights reels. He was an absolute weapon. But yeah, you're 100% right. Because that was pure attitude for him. And he's the first to admit that these days too. You watch interviews with him in recent times, he was 100% lazy and didn't give it his all. And that's why he never reached his full potential. Yeah, it'd be great if they would get someone like him to go and chat to Schuster about it because sometimes I think that's what's needed. You know, maybe a bit of an outside voice from someone who's who's been through it and done it before. But you know, there's, there's been accusations as well about the the people around Schuster and everything. And you just like per se, like we're footy fans. You always want to see young guys with huge talent succeed. Like I don't think anyone wants to see them not succeed. But at the same time, you, you see them with that many chances given and the chance to be a professional athlete in the NRL and paid a lot of money. And it's hard to feel sorry for him as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you can't really. It's it's that much of like you know, Barzi, you come through the grades, and it's that much of a, a cutthroat sort of competition. And once you get to that level where he's got to, you just can't take it for granted. You just got to give it your bit. Like you just have to hundred percent throw yourself into it. Uh, it's not given. You just it's hard to have sympathy for a bloke, really. What do you think, Manly do? Do you think that the Manly are going to cut ties after this year? Like, do you think? I think, I think they will. I think the, the, the writing's on the wall. I think they're fed up. That's pretty telling. Um, it, 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 look, it could be the best thing that's happened to him if he gets cut from Manly and ends up having to work his way into a contract with someone else. It might be the best thing that's ever happened to him, and we might see Josh Schuster for a lot of years. Uh, they've got other guys that can cover it. You got Weeks coming in. I think Cooper Johns has been quite good for him this season as well when he's played there. So. He's definitely, when he's on the field, he's not living up to the hype. No, he's not at all. Um, but speaking about uh, guys leaving clubs, Jack White signs with the Bunnies officially in the past week. Oh, look, I I made the comments with everyone I've spoken to, basically. I think it's a on paper, just, you know, in a vacuum without looking at the money. It's a fantastic signing for the Bunnies. Like, there's no, like, to me at the moment, Jack White and moving to centre. Imagine White and left centre... Graham Robson. Oh, it, it's, How good is that? It's not, you can't do much better than that. I don't think there'll be a better centre pairing in the NRL next year than that centre pairing. You know, I mean, at, at centre, the 
the other thing it does as well is I think it takes the pressure off him and also puts him in a spot where he's going to be able to succeed more in his 30s than what he will if he's in the halves. 100%. Obviously, the money comes into it per se. You know, when uh, Ricky Stewart and the Raiders blew up, they even asked for an inquiry into his contract and all this other stuff, which I thought was quite strange. <laughs> Two or 300 grand less to play centre at the Bunnings than what was offered. I, th- I found it quite bizarre that the NRL actually looks at this stuff, like that they have to review market value and stuff. Like I- I've always found that pretty weird because to me, like, especially someone who's given a decade to a club and he's in his 30s now and it's this quick representative career. And this is the first this is the first time he has ever tested himself on the open market. He's never gone to market before. He's always just ended up taking the contract that the, the Raiders have offered yeah. him. The guy's entitled to do what he's doing. And, and if he takes five hundred grand a year versus a one point two million dollar contract, isn't that his business? Well, he's on one. He's on nearly one million now. So who's to say he hasn't already set himself up? He's done everything in the game except win a competition. Yeah, and that, that's the thing that I think fans need to like understand as well. And like I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and and he was fairly negative about it. And I sort of said to him, mate, like I I know that you've knocked back jobs before in your career that have paid you 20% more because you've been happier at the job that you already had and you didn't want to leave that just for money because you knew you'd be miserable. Do you think it's any different for a footballer? You know, like if you know that you're going to be happier somewhere uh, else. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he should be accoladed for doing what he's doing. He could take that last, this is his last big contract he's going to get. Like he could have gone to Dolphins on 1.3 million a year for the next four years and, take his paycheck for the last of his career and he's never going to see a grand final premiership. That's what he wants. He's, he's played for New South Wales. He's played for Australia. He's played in grand finals. He's won Clive Churchill's. He's won Daily M's. The only thing he hasn't done is win a premiership. I, I, you know, I, seriously, I, I, the, the heat on Jack Whiten for wanting to leave and take less and the amount, the, the heat on him taking less money and it needs to be fake. So, what a lot of shit, to be honest. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think it's crazy. And it's like we have a go at athletes these days in all sports for just taking as much money as they can. And then, you know, you end up with like a Luke Brooks situation where it's like, oh, he's on a million dollars a year and he's a dud, blah, blah, blah. You know, why do you, you know, he shouldn't be on that. Why do you take the money? Well, someone like Mitchell Moses that was holding out because they wanted more than a million dollars and ended up getting 1.2. You know, fans have a go at that. You know, he's, oh, he's just in it for the money. He's just trying. Now you've got a bloke in white that says, actually, I don't care about the money. I just want to win. And I want to play in a winning club and get a grand final before I retire because I recognise I've only got a few years left. I mean, let's be let's be honest, Barnes. He's, instead of taking 1.1, he's taking 700. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not um, chump change. So it's not like he's... It's just I I think this whole thing's ridiculous. The heat that gets on Whiten for this, I I think he should be applauded for doing what he's doing, chasing his dream. I do as well. I, I think it shows a great level of maturity that I, I didn't actually, I wasn't sure that he had, and I think it shows a lot of um, intelligence as well. With the, the especially from where he's he, he's had a lot of indiscretions in his time, Whiten. Well, it's the hardest decision that you could make, Perso. Like to leave a club like that after ten years 
and to you know it's not the comfortable decision it's not the easy decision and oh, it wouldn't have been easy for him by any stretch of the imagination and ricky stewart's like a father figure to him as well like telling ricky that like it would have been uh, heartbreaking but for, from the stewart side of things from the raiders side of things and from the raiders fan side of things i would hope that people recognize that he's given 10 years to that club and they've gotten his best and his peak performances and he's on he's on the downward of his career now this is the end and after a decade I just hope that they just wish him the best and just say good luck to you. I hope you get a premiership. You know, that's... You'd like to think so. Especially when he's never tested himself in the open market previously. And when he's at, like, at his peak, he just always re-signed. Mm. Well, hopefully it's going to end well. You know, he's going to see this season. I'd hate to see him transfer early. I don't think that should happen. I'd like to see a good send-off from the Raiders club and also from uh, the Raiders fans for Jack White and for the rest of the year is his final year. Um, but look, let's move on to the next topic. The race for the blue jumpers. Mm. It's heating up, Perso. Origins around the corner. You can sniff it. It's coming. It's this month. And are we? why are we even debating Nico Hines and Campbell Graham mm, no being idea. on the side? I can't believe the amount of People, two of the first picks uh, should be those two bears. The amount of people in the media and journos, per se, that are saying, oh, you know, it's Lua is an incumbent or the combinations. And NRL 360 tonight, they're saying, oh, oh Hines is, is maybe the best halfback in the league. Hines is maybe the best player in the league. <laughs> Forget about halfback. He wasn't even a halfback until last year. Well, that's right. He spent all his junior football at 5'8". He played a fullback from Melbourne. <laughs> he goes to... Everyone had doubts last year as whether how him and more than were going to have how the Sharks are going to go with two five eights, and he comes out and gets daily a player of the year as a halfback, and he's absolutely come back this year, probably playing even better than he did last year. But he has to walk into that six chambers, surely. Do you think there's anybody else in, that's played better this season than what Hines has? Nowhere near. He's just electric, and you can't tell me that he won't fit into Cleary's game, and they won't play off each other. It'd be dynamite for the Blues. i tell you two things that make me think that it would be utterly amazing for New South Wales to have Hines in the side. He's currently playing in a side, Hines, in the Sharks. No disrespect. That doesn't have really much of a spine at all. You know, you play against like a Melbourne Storm. Bradley, Moylan and Kennedy. You play against like the Storm. You got to worry about. You can't worry too much about Hughes because you got to worry about Munster. You can't worry about Munster too much because you got to worry about Pappenhausen when he's there. And don't worry too much about Pappenhausen because you're a granted hooker. You know, Nico. You play the Sharks. Stop Nico Hines. I, I, I can't do it. It's a very short video session. And it's a very clean whiteboard because there's only one thing written on it. Stop Nico Hines. That is all you have to do. And I don't think anyone's been able to do it. Not at all. Throw Nico Hines into a star-studded representative team. You can't just stop Nico. Cleary on it, one side. Teddy at the fullback. Hooker or whatever. But with Mitchell and Turbo, and like, seriously, like, how the hell it's even a conversation that you... Lua hasn't even been playing at his best football this year by a long stretch. Hines has to be the six. Absolutely has to be. And the other thing, the second point, um, I'm not going to say that I'm on this bandwagon, but a lot of fans have question Nathan Cleary's capability to be the leading superstar match winner at representative level. And I've got no qualms that he can be. And I think that he can be. Um, I don't think that he's necessarily shown it or cemented it, 
but you know what? Like we always look at this as like it's, you're either being really negative or really positive about some. There's a grey area there. You know, you, you don't have to be one of the best players in the game, and then also you know be the guy that just leads your team to victories and stuff with no help. You know, it's fine to say, look, you can be alpha two. You don't have to be the alpha. You know, and to me, Hines coming into the side, his attitude, his calmness, and his game can just compliment Cleary and take the pressure off him. Oh, like, like, you can you can be a match winner still, but you don't have to be the guy anymore even. Like even if Cleary plays second fiddle, oh. does it even matter? Cleary's, you know? Cleary's game could go to a different level with Hines at 5 And these blue sides, per se, have always relied so much on Cleary. You know, Lou always never been a player that's a, a, a huge playmaker. He doesn't have a massive amount of experience himself. He doesn't even take the these off the kicking game. He's not not a big kicking game player either. It's it's just purely the combination factor. Well, I mean, you look at the the heat that got taken off Cleary just last year just by throwing Burton in their mid series. You know, the the, the kicking exactly. of Burton taking the pressure off, put Cleary in the uh, put Cleary next to Hines. It's a no brainer to me. They get a, a genuine kicking option on both sides of the paddock. It's just they get genuine Hines. Oh, it, it has to happen, doesn't it, Barnsley? Surely. I don't even know why it's a debate. Well, I hope that it's already picked and Hines is already in there because, I mean, look, Hines, is, Hines plays both sides of the field now as well. He he grew up as a six. He played all his junior football as a six. And he proved everyone wrong last year when he said, oh, he can't play seven. He comes out and plays seven and he's the best seven in the comp. I can't help but think that there's some sort of um, weird Queensland reverse psychology that's, that's happened here where they've just put this fear into New South Wales that, oh, you guys don't pick and stick. You need to make sure you stick with your size. And they're just laughing over there in Queensland because they're like, yeah, we've done it again. We've made them not pick Hines because now they're second guessing. They think they have to pick Luai. Incumbency doesn't even matter. Like Queensland would be so scared of coming up of Hines and Cleary on either side of the rack versus 100%. Luai. I, I guarantee which six they would rather not have it won't be Luai. Luai's not even to me. I don't. Do you think that Luai? I don't think that Luai has played even as good as what he has in either the last two years. No, I, I think he's fallen. I think he's fallen. Been quite poor this year, on, on comparison to what he's been at the last couple of seasons. And I mean, coming off a you know losing Origin series as well. You know, I don't think that he's actually earned the incumbency, even though he's been there for a couple of years. Uh, there's a, there's. A, there's a lot of talk about how he has, so he deserves the first game. But I just wouldn't pick him. No, and I don't even think it's controversial. I don't think there'd be there should be any heat. We do need to talk about Graham as well. Uh, Campbell Graham, I've loved for well, ever since he came into first grade. I really loved his game. Oh, oh, stretch! He's a weapon. I love him. I am surprised at the amount of people that keep saying he needs to be a centre. He came in as a winger. He only, He's the incumbent Australian winger. The incumbent Australian winger. He only came into the centres two years ago or three years ago. But it should be without our car out, uh, Toa switches to the left wing and Stretch should be the right wing. Yeah. I mean, Tupo's out for a month as well. So, you know, Tupo's yeah. not even in so, the conversation. Mate, it's, it's a no-brainer. Stretch has got to be the right winger for New South Wales. Has to be. Yeah, he's just playing outstanding. I think uh, people get caught up on the position stuff and think, oh, he needs to play centre. Look, there's no way... Where does that... Where does that come from, Barnsley? I've noticed that in recent years. Like, oh, I keep playing guys out of position. Origin is the best of the best. Players are capable of playing in a different position they play in their club. They always have. <laughs> how, many time, how many times did ET get picked on wing or centre? I mean, you know, he's a fullback. Like, I just don't, I, I don't get this. Oh, picking guys out of position. Well, not really. 
I think that New South Wales fans um, sort of got into it a little bit. Um, and I, I think Queenslanders gave it to New South Wales fans a little bit too, probably about a decade ago, like when, when New South Wales were losing a lot of origin series and they were picking guys out of position. That was kind of almost a scapegoat that, oh, yeah, where well, you're picking guys, you know, that are that are forwards in the centres and blah, 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 and all this stuff and everyone's out of position. And everyone kind of used it as a scapegoat. And I think that it's just kind of latched on as this thing now where you can't play guys out of position to the point that it's like this big mirage that everybody's seeing that's not actually there because they never see the fact that we play guys like Tom Javojevic in the centres and it's fine. Latrell no. Mitchell's been out of position for years and it's fine. You know, like... To me, Bargy, how good... you got a back line, Tedesco, Tavo, Mitchell, Javojevic, Graham, Hines, Cleary. Tell me that's not going to scare any opposition. I don't even have to think about picking that back line, to be honest. There's no one that I have to think about for a minute there. And I'm, there's no one that I've left out that I'm, I feel bad about. Like, to me, that's an easy New South Wales back line. Oh, it's absolute weaponry. Can't wait. Do you, do you think that someone like Turbo, we need to wait for his health to come good? Or are you happy that if he plays one or two games before Origin, you know, like say he was out this week and next week, would you still pick him? I, I would. Yeah, I would. He'll put his hand up. If he's not fit, I think he's the type of guy that would say, I'm not 100%, don't pick me. But if he's 100%, you've got to pick him. I'll go as far to say if he's 90%, I'd still pick him. Like 90% yeah, turbos exactly. is better than the next option. Oh, 100%. Listener's Corner. Great new segment. I love it. Um, I throw it out there to listeners and also just chatting to listeners as well uh, on social media about questions that you want to throw up for the podcast. Only one a week. And this week, we've got a great I really like this one. I like this one because it's not about the NRL currently as much. It's just about rugby league in general. Perso, what long-standing NRL rule would you change? Ooh, that's a hard question. Uh, I know I'm a dinosaur when it comes to these things, but uh, golden point, I, I absolutely hate golden point. Been around for long enough now. It's probably long-standing. I, I can't stand it. It's never going anywhere. I, I appreciate that. But um, to me, the draw was good for 95 years. And then uh, Golden Point got introduced full-time in 2003. I just don't see the value. Like, a side can get beaten 60 nil, and a side can go down to Golden Point from a coin toss, not even touch the ball in, in um, the extra time, go down to a field goal and get the same result, going down 17-16. I think if Golden Point sticks around, which I know it's going nowhere, but I think they need to change... What are a, um, a game's worth? Two points for a win, zero points for a loss. It should be three points for a win, zero points for a loss. Golden point, two and one. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this one up because a few weeks ago on the podcast, I think me and Andrew went through this and um, I uh, we went through golden point and I didn't like the, the points for losing and stuff. But what I didn't like either was golden point because my argument was it's not really football. You're seeing a different type of football where it's just field goals. It's not rugby league. So my argument was that if it's not good enough for the semifinals and the big games to have golden point, then why don't we just do what we do for all the other games? And that is, you know, to play extra minutes, just extra time. Because that gives everyone the ball and you just get 10 minutes and just, you know, try try and win it. Case and point was the other word, the, uh, the Panthers-Knights game. It was a draw at full time. Mm. The Knights were gritty as in that game. They lost the toss. Um, Cleary goes down the field, 
bang, Bill, they didn't even get the ball. They didn't even get a, a chance to respond after having such a gritty game. Like they, they lost a toss, Perth got in the field, clearly puts the field goal over, bang, game over. Yeah, I, I, I don't like that. That's the reason I don't like Golden Point. Fair call, good one to bring up. Um, I'll, I'm going to go for a bit of an obscure one here that never gets talked about. I want the seven tackle set abolished. And that's fair, actually. The reason that the seven tackle set got brought about, nobody even knows anymore. I don't even think anyone at the end of all knows why it's there. And the reason why it's there uh, I remember. is because you had these weapon fullbacks. Billy Slater was one at the time who, if you kicked the ball to you, were shit scared, we're going to carve you up. So what teams started doing was kicking it dead on purpose to get the defensive line set and to take the hands out of the, the gun fullback and take the ball out of the hands of the gun fullback. Now, that's what it was there for. And, you know, obviously we got rid of it, which was good. But the problem is that now, like, a ball gets knocked over the dead ball line and it's seven tackle set. What for? Like, what's – nobody's, you know, done that on purpose. You've got a team that's five metres out per so <laughs> – and they put a grubber in to try and score points, which is what you want to encourage. It goes over the line an inch b- before someone touches it and puts it down for a try. Seven tackle set, you get punished. And it's like... Yeah, it's pretty rugged. Makes no sense, does it? Like, why are we doing this? And I, I think everyone's forgotten. Going for a field goal, you talked about going point. You go for a field goal... Yeah, that's a seven tackle it's set. It's a seven tackle when set. You miss. You miss. <laughs> like, what what yeah. are we doing? As a game, why, why haven't we looked at this and gone, this is ludicrous. Why are we giving a seven tackle set for no reason. It's not even giving it for the reason that we put the rule in place in the first place. Yeah, that's a, fair, that's a pretty good point, Barzi. I've had a bit of a problem with that one for a while. Yeah, it's such an advantage to me. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's gone completely out of the context of why the rule was brought in place. Huge advantage, especially when you're bringing the six tackle set now as well. Or you get, you're lucky enough to get one of them off the back of it. All of a sudden, you're down the other end and with no time. Yeah, it's almost turning into rugby union where you get phases now because you get the ball for like 23 tackles with all the six kids yeah. and stuff and everything. Ah, spray of the week. <laughs> Here we go. The rugby raid. We've already spoken <laughs> about Sewer Lee going across months ago, but Payne Haas is the next target. And, you know, rugby's talking it up and... Rugby League, as it does, was worrying about it and stuff. You know, will Payne Haas go? He is actually like an established premier player in the NRL and he's someone who is you know, probably the best front rower in the game and he's only very young still, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him and is a like, long-standing current representative player as well. I just find it you know, fascinating that rugby think that this is smart, what they're doing. Like, I'm just going to give them and anyone that thinks that this is a good idea an absolute spray for thinking that you can just get um, all these players that are stars in the NRL and it's going to be great for you in rugby union. I'll tell you one thing that doesn't work in rugby union, getting a rugby league forward to go and play it. And, and like I had this argument online as well where it was like um, somebody said from rugby union, and I don't want to say it was a CEO of rugby union, but somebody from rugby union said, you know, only a small percentage of, of um, rugby league players can come across to rugby union because of the skill set and everything else. So actually, no. Pretty much when you got Marika Korobiti going over and starting on the wing for the Wallabies immediately. Uh, Duncan McRae comes to more. I'm going to say 100% of, of, of backs that play rugby league can go over and play rugby union very well, especially when you got Marika Korobiti as a shining example that went straight into the Wallabies side, didn't just play rugby union well. If you're a back... 
you translate to rugby union. Don't worry about that. 100%. And you will carve it. If you are a Ford, the success rate is almost zero. It is such a different game, Perso, isn't it? If you're a rugby league forward, uh, you don't even want to play rugby union no, because it's just shit for you. You've just you've, you've just numbed, nailed that in one. <laughs> the only time I ever played rugby was at school. You know, we uh, league, and you know, we used to carve up until we played actual teams in the semis, in the state semis that were actually rugby union skills and knew what they were doing. As a as forward, it's a completely different game. It's no interest in it whatsoever. What what is Payne Haas going to do in rugby union? I had to laugh when um, Nass was getting chased at one point as well. Like he's not suited to rugby union, but he's not like he, he's he's a prop, and it's a completely different game playing prop forward in the league. Is this mm. union? Yeah, you, know, you, you guys like Brad Thorne that could play. They were they're the sort of guys that could play on the flank. In rugby union and it's succeeding in rugby league. Like it's Sonny Bill, you look at Sonny Bill and um, Sam Burgess. They both played centre when they played union. Yeah, and they didn't even try and put those guys in the forwards. Like they were the best forwards in rugby league. Like they were a really good paint Haas comparison, where you've got Sonny Bill Williams and Sam Burgess, and and they exactly. didn't even try and put them in the forwards. And and Payne Haas can't go and play centre. He has to play in the forwards. What position would he? What position would he play in rugby? No idea. Oh, I just think I, I think it's laughable. Like if, if rugby union oh, if rugby union were to take someone like Payne Hearts, it's almost like rugby league just sending over a Trojan horse and just attacking them. Like it's like, oh no. Oh no. Uh, yep. Here you go. Spend money or nothing because he's a Ford and it's a completely different game and he can't play rugby union. I reckon they'd have to offer him two million a year. He, he he just hate it. Like he would hate playing it. He wouldn't be hundred percent. He hate it. It's a completely different game for a forward. I mean, devil's advocate. Do you think that he could adjust and be good? To me, I think it would take him two or three years. I don't, I think, don't so. think he'd be the top I, of the game anyway. Nah, his style of play and he's a league prop through and through. Like to get into that, like he's not even built. His build isn't even a, a rugby prop. So it's a completely different game. Yeah, I don't think so. It's not like there's some of the guys they target, like your Ken Murray's and those guys. At least they had uh, some schoolboy rugby experience. Payne Arson never played rugby. <laughs> so, so to go and throw the wallet open to him and get him over there, you know, good luck, yeah. If he goes, they don't want to be for good money. If rugby union are going to start pillaging front rowers and forwards to play as a forward in rugby union and they think they're doing something smart. They've got a, the rugby union in Australia is in more trouble than what I thought it was. Exactly. Legend Rewind. Ah. I gave it away a bit. Played for Balmain. Played for South Sydney for a couple of years. Played for the Cowboys for a couple of years. Timmy Brasher. Ah. He was, <laughs> uh, he was one of my favourite Backs to yeah, watch. Yeah, so obviously being a Tiger supporter. You, you would have just loved it. Look, before I go through his numbers and stuff in his career, why don't you just, from a main perspective, just uh, what comes to mind with Timmy Brasher? Oh, still first memories when he came in in 89. Uh, I was probably 10, and I remember he was playing centre, the Tigers in the grand final, doing his HSC the same week. <laughs> but um, from there you go, he, he sort of took over. From probably Gary Belcher, I think, but in the rep sort of football side of things, he was probably the mo- the most consistent fullback before between Belcher and um, Lockyer, I reckon. 
Yeah, uh, he was right up there. I mean, the, the, I guess the guy that came in and kind of stole his thunder a little bit, but also oh, made him a little, made the history books a bit quiet on Timmy Brash's career with people talking about him was um, Brett Mullins coming in. Brett Mullins. Yes, yes, definitely. So, I mean, he came in in 89, played in the grand final, like you said, when he was actually really young. Amazing grand final versus Canberra in 89. And had a really good stint of 185 games with the Balmain Tigers, where he scored 82 tries and kicked 105 goals as well. Uh, so, I mean, it was really the Balmain years, wasn't it? It was one of those things where during that time, he played um, six city games, 21 New South Wales games between 92 and 2000, which was no mean feat playing 21 games, 16 games for Australia as well. And he actually, per so ended up on the wing and centre for the Australian team as well because despite the fact yeah. that um, that someone like Mullins came through, he... He was still in the side. Still in the side because he was that good a player. Um, and I just I just remember the speed and the swerve. Oh, he was a gun. The, the speed and the swerve that he had. Um, it It's almost like when we spoke about um, E.T. last year when we did the legendary one on E.T. He was... Quite a similar player, actually. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And both of them, in both cases, like with E.T., I said he was such a good attacking player and so silky and great to watch with his speed and how he could move that you forgot about the other parts of his game, like his defence. Because yeah, Timmy Brasher, as a fullback, was actually outstanding with his positional play. His cover tackles, person. Do you remember some of those cover tackles? Oh, he was brilliant, man. He was unreal. He ended up being um, a, a little bit, I guess, at the end of the Tigers, per se, were you a little bit upset? It was sort of at that time when the, the Super League War finished and he was disputing his contract with the Tigers. Uh, and that's how he ended up at South Sydney because he went for the money um, or he wanted the money. And there was a, a story, and it, it always was one of those ones where you, you don't really get it confirmed properly, but basically the Tigers had offered him 500 k a year uh, I think that was what the end of the '97 season. He he knocked it back from he wanted more money, and then he turned around and went, "No, no, actually, I'll accept." And it had already been taken off the table. And then he ended up signing with South Sydney. Played two years with South Sydney, forty games, fourteen tries, was outstanding. One of those years, uh, but then South got kicked out of the comp, and he had to find a new club again. That's how he ended up at the Cowboys. Yeah, the Tigers are a bit of a basket case of that. Well, they still are, I guess. <laughs> but at that particular time, they were a bit of a basket case. Well, um, I've actually had a, a, a beer with Timmy on a couple of occasions up the bay. He, um, I grew up up the bay, but he, he got a, bought a house at some of I met him a couple of times over the years. He's a great player. But yeah, that was I. I <laughs> that was one of the things I said to him. I was devastated. He left the Tigers. What did you leave the Tigers? I didn't have a choice. In the end. He didn't want to leave the Tigers. But, uh, yeah, that was it. He sort of got shown the door with that contract. So mm, I, I loved watching him for New South Wales as a New South Welshman. I, um, I, I loved Timmy Brasher in that side. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, I, you know, he wasn't, like you sort of alluded to, he wasn't as good as, uh, like, a Lockie or a Slater by any means. Um, and I'd probably even put Brett Mullins ahead of him. Um, Minicello comes to mind as well. Yeah, but he, but, he was right but, up there, though, per se. Like, I, I think, you know, I wanted to put him up there because I liked him so much. <laughs> he's that generation in between from your, your Jacks and your Belchers. He was the next one that came through that sort of changed the game a bit until the next guys came through. Like, you, you talk about your Rick Mullins. He was great for, like, one or two seasons at fullback. 
And then um, that was it. Sort of Brasher was a bit more consistent than that. But then the next lot of guys that came through, it was sort of the transition from your, your Gary Jacks, your Gary Belchers, then it was Brasher. And then that's when you sort of got your new phase, your Minichellas and your Lockyers and your Sliders. And then it went from there. My uh, biggest memory of Tim Brasher to finish up on him was the 96 season. The, the Tigers had a really crap side. They they did not have a good team at all in 96. Terrible. And Brasher's year that year, a lot of people considered him. We had David Bazzari was their current player. <laughs> <laughs> no one would even know him on this podcast. That's how good that. <laughs> uh, 1996, Brasher is considered by heaps of players and also good good pundits in the media to be the best player in the world at that time. That's how good his 1996 season was. The Tigers could oh, have so gotten good. the spoon without him, and he said he, he basically single handedly almost carried that Tiger side to within one win of a finals berth that year. And, you know, he then went on and played outstandingly for Origin and Kangaroos as well. That was, you know, if you've got a year where someone someone can make that sort of impact on a really bad football team and also is considered by just about everyone as possibly the best player in the world, you know it's a career that should be talked about a bit more. Oh, he's a weapon. He's a great player. Do you, just to finish up on him, did you did you remember any games in particular or any things in particular that stick out in your mind of Timmy Brasher being a Tigers fan? Not any one particular game. I just those couple of lean seasons. It was just always he was just always in the game. He was so good defensively. That's that's probably the thing that sticks out more than um, anything else. Like he, last line of defence, he was always there. Uh, I think that's one of the things that probably gets a bit lost. In his career, he was he was a really good defensive fullback. Yeah, in uh, one of those early '90s Origin games, I also remember um, pretty, pretty vividly because I remember Mark Coyne breaking everyone's hearts with that try that they scored after the buzzer, the Queensland side to win. But there was another time where um, Mark Coyne actually got tackled with Tim Brasher at fullback, got brought down, and Mal Meninga as well. He brought down Coyne and Meninga, which basically saved them the game twice. Uh, towards the end of one of those games, I think it was the '92 or the '93 season, and that those sort of tackles pretty much summarise what you were saying about his defence gets forgotten. But yeah, you know, they were try saving tackles in Origin. Imagine imagine tackling Mount Meninga like that, or, you know, trying to stop a try in Origin, and you got to hit Meninga and stop him to win an Origin game. Yeah, he was a better defensive fullback than he was an attacking fullback. He he was really good defensively. Well, Timmy Brasher, fantastic career. Uh, I think always remembered as a Balmain Tiger, but also had some good stints with South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Cowboys as well. Good bloke too. Really approachable girl. Great career and great podcast per se. That wraps it up. So thanks very much for jumping on the Talking Footy episode this week. Appreciate it. I think it was made for you with some of the Tigers talk and the fact that it's the only time in the last 12 <laughs> months that the Tigers have won a football game. <laughs> yeah, it's what it's been, 256 games. We've uh, won from 28 weeks or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'll get you on the next time they win, but I might have to get you on a bit sooner than that. So. <laughs> that might be in 2024. Uh, yeah, we'll get, you on, we'll get you on a bit sooner. <laughs> Everyone listening, you can download, stream, or subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or SoundCloud. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Go on Picklebet. Please have a look because Picklebet are a fantastic partner that we now have 
and I love working with them and I think that you'll love punning with them. So sign up on picklebet.com. Make sure you put your referral code in as all stars or one word. They'll know that you're one of our listeners that's come through. If you put that where it says referral or promo code, they'll take great care of you. Thanks for listening. Great round of footy. Magic round. I reckon there'll be heaps of magic this round indeed. It'll be great footy, great fanfare, and I can't wait to chat all about it again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Only shooting stars break the mold.